0: What they discovered upon their arrival was almost unspeakable.
1: We thought uh, all evil. It's somewhere in the middle. I'm not evil. Your... <sighs>
0: <sighs> the dead won't bother me. It's the living you gotta worry about. Some, if I couldn't keep them there with me whole,
1: I, at least I felt that I could keep uh, their skeletons. Hello there. Hello this is the bad taste crime cast i'm janelle i'm vicky and we are here with you close yet far away
0: yes so close but so far away
1: yes we have a lovely episode for you today i hope you enjoy
0: it yes yes hopefully it'll sound okay oh my gosh (laughs) yeah we are doing our part to practice social distancing and we are recording from our respective homes instead of in our studio with tiff sad face i miss her (laughs) yeah i miss i miss just people same oh my gosh sometimes
1: (laughs) i miss a certain amount of people
0: (laughs) (laughs) the people that i like really
1: yes exactly
0: (laughs) well if this is your first time listening a special hello to you as janelle said we have a great show for you today i'm actually very excited about this one i was a little worried are you but again had that moment of like okay this will be really good yes
1: this one is really broad (laughs) it is i feel like you could just
0: pick anything (laughs) it's true it's true um before we jump into the episode today, though, we are gonna head over to the newsroom. So obviously, a lot of the stuff we're talking about is COVID related. This is <laughs> this is gonna be no different because that seems to be the only news that's out it's there right now. It's almost like. Uh the news is doing it on purpose (laughs) it was you know what it was really funny i was playing a game elections or i was playing a game of um have you ever heard of the game heads up that you play on your phone where you have to like you hold the thing on your forehead and you have to guess the word that's on there people are giving you clues and stuff okay so we did um pop culture and literally every Mm -hmm. single one was like covid related it was like hand washing purell uh hand sanitizer. Oh like God. it was but
1: that's liquid gold. No. <laughs> that's
0: basically what uh pop culture is now. It's just
1: Yeah, it is. COVID. It's unfortunate. Yes.
0: <laughs> um our news today comes from Russia. Specifically, and I'm going to apologize for this pronunciation already. Specifically in the village of Yeletma. Yeletma. In the ryazan region. There you go. This comes from uh BBC News. So that area is uh, it's just southeast of Moscow. It is currently under lockdown as we record this. Um, However, there was a man who was complaining to a group of people from his balcony that they were being too loud. They were like, y'all need to quiet down. And an argument broke out between the man and the group. He then grabbed his hunting rifle and opened fire. Yikes.
1: Okay. Yeah. That sounds like a reasonable response.
0: Yeah. Um four men and one woman died of their injuries on the spot. Uh the suspect who hasn't been named yet, he has been arrested and they have confiscated the apartment from his weapon. Um but it's like holy crap. Like he just got mad that they weren't being quiet enough and then shot everybody I, mean,
1: I have those moments too you know where yeah I'm yeah right. rage cage on somebody's face but i don't actually do it
0: i mean <laughs> at these points in time uh anxiety is running real high so yeah you know it's it's just one of these things just take everybody take a deep breath before you react a collective covid breath yeah <sighs> <sighs> All right, we're going to move on to Netflix and Kill, which is actually an HBO and Kill today. Wahoo. HBO, as we've mentioned, I know we mentioned on one of our live streams, HBO is coming out with a lot of amazing content um, in the next couple of weeks here in April. And one of those things is a movie called Bad Education. Have you Mm. seen any previews for this?
1: I haven't seen a preview but I saw it pop up on my HBO account.
0: Yes. So, uh it's releasing on April 25th on HBO. It stars Hugh Jackman, Allison Janney, Geraldine Viswanathan and Ray Romano. And it it's a it's technically a comedy drama. It's fictionalized based on true events, however. They actually occurred to one of the writers and co-producers, Mike Mikowski's high school. And I did a little looking into this. This was actually at New York's Roslyn school district. Um, and follows sort of the story of Frank Tassone, or it could be Tassone. I'm not sure <laughs> it's New York. There's a lot of <laughs> Italians and things, mm-hmm. Um So what happened was in uh, well, he was eventually at some point um, arrested for an 11.2 million larceny scandal involving the Roslyn school district comes out that he has sort of had this double life this whole time. He had claimed to be a widower and he was in a domestic partnership with a man he talks about he was the superintendent for the school district. But at the same time as he was doing this, he was siphoning off $2.2 million on things like vacations to the Caribbean, gambling trips, rent on an Upper East Side apartment, weight loss treatment, and dry cleaning. And it becomes discovered that he is kind of taking all of this money. So I'm really looking forward to it. It actually looks pretty funny. like um the the -hmm. movie does but it's a very interesting case when you start looking into it of course you know my affinity for white collar crime yes yes um but as we've said on previous episodes we are trying to give you guys a little preview as to what's coming out so you have something to watch during this time of uh extreme social distancing so that is bad education it comes out on hbo on april 25th definitely check it out awesome uh this is that part of the show where we say content may not be appropriate for all listeners. Um, I don't actually know what the deal is. Mine is not <laughs> terrible, I don't think. There's some murder.
1: I mean, mine's really... Mine's ridiculous. It's just plain fucking ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, Janelle, why don't you tell us what we're talking about today? Vicky, do you, do you know my love of the Southwest?
0: Oh my god, I do. It's like cowboys and cattle rustlers just, i have visions of
1: like living like georgia o'keefe in a little abode out in the middle of nowhere in new mexico
0: oh my god you know, i could see she you doing that her
1: her tons of half her age boyfriends <laughs>
0: Not
1: allowing anyone in her home i feel oh like <laughs>
0: it's
1: a good way to retire mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> i could see you doing that for sure
1: <laughs> yeah but uh that region like i i've been to um New Mexico and Arizona, and it is full of a lot of really, really shady characters and ne'er-do-wellers. wellers mm. It's, it's, uh, it's interesting, which is why I wanted to us to do some, like, dusty crimes of the Southwest, because I feel like there's just so much
0: yes. down there yeah.
1: that you could pull from. It's ridiculous. And we've touched on a couple cases out of Arizona and New Mexico before, and Texas. hmm so, I am going to take us to Tucson, Arizona for this story of the Pied Piper of Tucson, Charles Schmid. Okay, I am
0: very ready for this.
1: <laughs> so, Charles Schmid was a 5 foot 3 inch tall man, so about my height, actually a little shorter than me. Okay. Um with with dyed jet black hair and extremely tan skin, like a dusty old saddle, tan skin. Okay. Okay. <laughs> he looks like uh, if someone... Do you remember those Wooly Wooly magnet portrait cards? No. Where you would take the little... It's like a uh, magnetic sand oh. and you draw the like, beard and the mustache on it. Yes. Yes, I do. Yeah, it's yes, called a Wooly do. Wooly. Okay. He, he looked like if someone tried to draw Johnny Cash on one of those. Okay. It's, okay. it's very disturbing. <laughs> oh, God, Okay. Um, <laughs> He wore a uh, pancake makeup, which is clown makeup if you're not familiar, and lip balm every day. So oh very like crazy looking. He took to wearing a fake mole on his face as well.
0: I <laughs> Again, can see why you are saying <laughs> yours is just ridiculous <laughs> already. Yes. <Yeah, see. laughs>
1: Just based upon his looks, yes. Um, he was very sensitive about his height, uh, so much so that he would stuff his cowboy boots with papers to give him a little extra height.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: Charles Smith was a, a bastard. And I don't just mean, like, he's a bastard for killing someone. I mean, like, he legitimately didn't know who his parents were kind of a bastard. Oh, so the he actual use of the word bastard. <laughs> the, he was an actual bastard. <laughs> He would not graduate from high school as he was suspended his senior year for stealing from his shop class. He would go on to live on his parents' property in a trailer with a monthly stipend of $300 from his parents. His parents were very wealthy. They actually owned a bunch of uh, nursing facilities for the elderly. So kind of, you know, a booming business for them. And they were really able to have a lot of cash. Now, he would tool around Tucson in his fast car or on his motorcycle. And Schmid was called by his friends, uh, the Pied Piper, because he was able to lure young girls to him with such ease that he had a bevy of girlfriends. That's creepy. Yeah, it's very creepy. Um, he would take to hanging out near the local high school and drag strip to
0: pick up girls. Oh my god, that's really creepy.
1: Yeah, it's but it's also like... That time period, you know, that's yeah. really like drag strip, yeah. you know, pick up chicks in your hot rod sort of a thing. True, yeah. Now, I cited a lot of my information from the Don Moser article for Life magazine. Um, the, ep- the issue came out in 1966. Um, it's a very good article. I highly recommend reading it. But I'm going to read a little bit of a description from it because I really think that Don Moser described this man and the situation in such a beautifully perfect way that I couldn't even compare. Okay. He bragged to girls that he knew a hundred ways to make love, and that he ran dope, that he was a hell's angel. He talked about being a rough customer in a fight, and he always carried in his pocket tiny bottles of salt and pepper, which he would use to blind his opponents. He lived to use highfalutin language and had a favorite saying, I can manifest my neurotical emotions, emancipate an epicureal instinct, and elaborate on my heterosexual tendencies. Oh my
0: gosh, there is a lot to unpack there. There's a lot. First going of on. all First of all, I love this idea of tiny bottles of salt and pepper because it right? sort of reminds me of like pocket sand. Or it's exactly. like pocket sand. Pow no. <laughs> you just throw it in yeah. somebody's face. Oh my god. It was, wow!
1: It was the most ridiculous description I've ever seen. So I was like, I need to include this. But also, that was that, like, amazing. I laughed so loud when I the first line he bragged to girls that he knew a hundred ways to make love. I like <laughs> spit all over myself. I was like, okay, I bet you do, <laughs> buddy. Oh my god! So one of Schmidt's many girls was a, a lady named Mary French. She was very gangly, tall, kind of um, what they would describe at the time as homely looking. She was just eighteen, and at the time, Schmid was twenty-three. On May thirty-first, nineteen sixty-four, Schmid professed to his girlfriend and a friend, uh, John Saunders, that he wanted to kill a girl that night, and he thought he could get away with it. Okay. <laughs> Mary right, had, yeah, Mary had an idea of who to choose, so she decided to choose a girl down the street named Aline Rowe. She was a fifteen-year-old neighbor of hers. Mary uh, tapped on her window that night to wake her and asked her if she wanted to hang out with them.
0: So Mary was totally on board with this plan. Yes. They all oh, were. God. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, jeez!
1: Yeah. So this wasn't uncommon. Mary and um, the girl, they were friends. Like It wasn't super uncommon, but um, the girl's mother didn't really like Mary friends. She thought she was kind of you know, a rebel rouser. So they yeah, got like the bad crowd. Of, yeah. So they kind of got to sneaking around to hang out. Now, according to Mary French, they drove off into the desert and as they got to this secluded spot, they all got out of the car and walked down into a wash where they sat on the sand and talked for a while, all four of them. Then Schmid and Mary started back to the car before they got there they heard a cry and Schmid turned back towards the wash. Mary went onto the car and sat in it alone, and about forty five minutes later Saunders appeared and said Schmidty wanted her to come back down. She refused, and Saunders went away. Five or ten minutes later, Smitty showed up, he got into the car and said We killed her. I love you very much. And then he kissed his girlfriend. Oh my god, what? Yes. Yeah. So she stated that he was breathing really hard and seemed very excited. He then got a shovel from the trunk of the car and returned down to the wash. She said she was lying on her back. There was blood on her face and head. Then the three of them dug a shallow grave and put the body in it and covered it up. Afterwards, they wiped down Schmidt's car, clean of all of the fingerprints. Um, the difficult part about this case in particular is we're going to run into the police deeming a lot of these disappearing girls as runaways.
0: So that actually does is still not a thing. <laughs> surprise me. Well, and it was in the 60s, which there was a lot of like hitchhiking yeah. and going oh, yeah. across Especially country. in the Southwest. I
1: mean,
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. But
1: this is still a problem. There is still a lot of missing girls, especially in Arizona and New Mexico, um, and they always assume first that they're runaways, which uh, we know from our many, many years of research here that that's usually not the case. Nope. So they didn't really help um, when Mrs. Rowe called to report her daughter missing. What happened was the police kind of just gently searched the area, and that was about it. Uh, Mrs. Rowe insisted that they picked pick up um, Schmid, because she had a feeling that he was in on it. He was kind of known around as being a real dirtbag, so he's kind of the go-to guy for a lot of things that would happen. The police assumed that Aline was just a runaway. Ugh. Unfortunately, that's where the case went and didn't go anywhere. Of course not. A year later, Schmidt was still dating Mary French, but now he had two other girlfriends as well. Okay. In fact, he technically had two fiancées and a girlfriend.
0: Oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> what a playboy. Yep.
1: So he had proposed to Mary French and another girl, and he started dating a girl named Gretchen Fritz. She was a 17-year-old daughter of a well-to-do heart surgeon. The two met at a pool during the summer, and the relationship was troubled from the start. The two would often fight in these big explosive public fights. Their mutual jealousy led to sharp and continual arguments like calling each other names, physical things happening. Once, Gretchen was shown so infuriated by him that she threw a bottle of shoe polish on his car and it exploded. Oh my god. Another time, <laughs> she was seen driving past Schmidt's house and saw him there with another girl. She immediately jumped out of her car and began screaming at him. Then Schmidt took off into the house, out the back, and climbed up into the tree in
0: his backyard. Oh my god. That is yeah. great. I love it. It's like uh-huh. disappearing into your old tree house to just hide away.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so his feelings for her were an odd mixture of hate and adoration, He said that he was madly in love with her, but he called her like a whore and a bitch all the time.
0: Oh my god. Class act.
1: Yeah. (laughs) On August 26, 1965, Gretchen left the house with her 13-year-old sister, Wendy, and they did not return. Fritz's parents immediately thought Schmid had something to do with it, but the police brushed it off again as the two just being runaways. So the Fritzes decided to take things into their own hands, and they hired a P.I., to kind of investigate since the police aren't going to do anything. Now the PI found her red car behind a shady motel about a week later. Reportedly one night Schmidt stopped by his friend, Richard Burns' house with a couple of shady guys in suits. Now this is where the story kind of starts to take a very odd turn. Okay. Richard Brun is schmidt 's like best friend. And he divulged all of the things he had done to him. Now, That night he showed up to Brun's house, he was with these two gentlemen, and Schmid told Brun that they were members of the mafia. Uh He barged in with these two guys, and he looked a little scared, but the two gentlemen were there because they wanted answers about the missing girls. Now, this is either a concocted story that was told by Brun to the police, or the mafia guys were kind of like fakers, just pretending that they were in the mafia.
0: Okay. So, like, he had gotten some guys to take him, like, to go with him to just pretend.
1: Well, I think that the Fritzes actually hired people through their PI to Uh, pretend that they were mafia. Okay. To rough both of them up. Gotcha. Needless to say, (laughs) they were all very spooked, and they decided that they needed to go back and do something. What happened is... Schmid killed the two girls and relayed this information to Brun. So now Brun was kind of an accomplice in this. They had just kind of threw their bodies out into the desert. Now, after they were visited by the mafia guys, they decided that they needed to go and hide the bodies much better. So this is out of a testimony that Brun gave. Okay. Schmidty stole the keys to his old man's station wagon. And then we got a flat shovel, the only one we could find. We went to Johnny's and got a hamburger, and then we drove out to the old drinking spot in the desert. That's what Schmitty meant when he said the most obvious place. It's where we used to drink beer and make out with girls. So we parked the car and got the shovel and walked down there, and we couldn't find anything. Then Schmitty said, wait, I smell something. We went in opposite directions looking, and then I heard Schmitty say, come here. I found him kneeling over Gretchen. There was a white rag tied around her legs her blouse was pulled up and she was wearing a white bra and capris. Then he said, Wendy's up this way. I sat there for a minute. Then I followed Schmidty to where Wendy was. He'd had the decency to cover up except for one leg, which was sticking up out of the ground. We tried to dig with the flat shovel. We each took turns. He'd dig for a while, then I'd dig for a while, but the ground was hard and we couldn't get anywhere with the flat shovel. We dug for 20 minutes and finally Shitty Smed, Shitty Smed, (laughs) Smitty said, (laughs) Shitty Smitty said, yeah, we better do something because it's going to get light. So he grabbed the rag that was around Gretchen's leg and dragged her down into the wash. It made a noise like dragging a hollow shell and it stunk like hell. Then Smitty said, wipe off her shoes. There might be fingerprints. So I wiped them off with my handkerchief and threw it away. After this, he fled to Ohio. He was getting so freaked out. He knew that he was kind of an accomplice now, and he decided to get the fuck out of town. So he fled to Ohio and went to live with his parents for a while. Okay. His grandparents, I mean. So he was acting really, really erratic, and his grandparents were getting concerned, and they asked him what was wrong, and he, like, spilled the fucking beans. He just told them everything.
0: Oh, man.
1: He told them the whole story above, how the mafioso guys came. Like He said everything to them. Now, his grandparents urged him to contact the Tucson police, and he did so. And then he flew back to Arizona. Now, Schmid was picked up by the police, and in 1966, he was found guilty of all three of the murders and sentenced to death. Oh, good. Yeah. So what he had done is he had picked up Gretchen and Wendy, while they were out, he got into their car, and they went out to the desert. He killed Gretchen first, um, choked her to death, and then because the 13-year-old sister was so scared and afraid, he she didn't go anywhere, and he also choked her to death, too. Oh, my gosh. Now, they didn't really do a good job of burying the bodies again. There was a lot of evidence, and it was very, you know, like... Super evident what had happened. So yeah. it was really, I mean, the story that um, Bruins told, it was 100% corroborated. It was easy peasy. Like they didn't have to do anything. Like they, it was done. Um, after he had come back and like told the story, they did pick up Mary French too and the other dude who was there present for the first murder. So that's how they were able to get him on the first one as well. He left her in a very, very shallow grave. It was, again, very, very easy for them to find her body. Yeah. It was just, this is so common in the Southwest that it's not even funny. Like, how ridiculous. How many girls go missing and are found just thrown out into the desert, or they're not found at all.
0: Yeah. Well, and again, when you start off the investigation by assuming it's a runaway, like, that doesn't help either, Mm -hmm. you know?
1: Yeah. So, like I said, in 66, he was found guilty of all three murders and sentenced to death. But the state of Arizona temporarily abolished the death penalty in 1971, so his sentence was commuted to 50 years in prison instead. Wow. That's so you're interesting. are probably like, oh, cool. He was let out. Well, in 1965 and in 1971, uh, or not 1965, what am I saying? 1971 and 1975, um, he attempted to escape from jail, and he successfully escaped a couple times, but was recaptured. Oh, my God. This is back in the in the time where there was, you know, chain gangs or whatever.
0: When it was far so. easier to actually escape from jail.
1: <laughs> yeah. So he was able to escape a couple times. In 1971, he escaped enough that he was gone for a couple of days before they recaptured him. Um. In 1975, Schmid was attacked by fellow inmates and shivved 47 times holy moly he hit was fucked up he stayed alive for 20 days in the infirmary in the um, jail but ultimately died from his wounds and the interesting part of all this is that his mother decided to have him buried in the prison cemetery instead of being buried in their family plot because she thought that his grave would be defaced
0: that's so interesting. I mean, probably not wrong, but definitely interesting.
1: Yeah. But yeah, so he's still in the prison cemetery and his mom was like, okay, bye. Um, but I think he met an ultimately fitting end for what he had done. Um, and yeah, he didn't get out like in 50 it. years. So that's yeah. that's positive. But there's I, a really great... Um, picture of him if you saw that a yes. little below. Yeah. That's right when he was captured, he had the fake mole on and...
0: And that's like um, a huge-ass fake mole. Like, that thing is monstrous. Yeah.
1: If you go all the way to the bottom, there's a picture of um, his girlfriend, or yeah, his fiance really, Mary French, and then Saunders from the first murders, and then that's him without any of the shit on his face.
0: And he actually looks normal.
1: yeah. But he was definitely, have thunk he it. he thought himself to be like an Elvis type, which is why he went through these great lengths to kind of dye his hair and have a beauty mark and he'd be more glamorous yeah. looking than he really was.
0: I mean, so, even with yeah. the dyed hair, because uh, obviously I feel like in this, it's still dyed, but like the makeup and stuff he doesn't have on anymore yeah, looks way, gone. way more normal. Doesn't look like a lunatic. <laughs> no no and he's actually like not terrible looking um without yeah, all the shit so, on his face i really don't understand the pancake
1: makeup and the mole but i mean you do you bud i guess
0: <laughs> yeah the, i will say uh the thing that i find really interesting is that they commuted his sentence to 50 years instead of uh life like that um, to me is a weird choice I'm-
1: I'm not surprised. Um, Really? Life in prison wasn't really a thing
0: in 1970.
1: Um, That didn't really start becoming more prevalent until much later. Um, Really, (laughs) it's unfortunate, but a lot of murderers and rapists would get out after a couple of years. 50 years, actually, to me, sounds like more than anyone else got for murdering. But he did murder three girls, so maybe that's why he got 50 years, but... That's not uncommon. There's several cases of murder um, where they would just serve like five to ten years.
0: Man, that's that's depressing. So,
1: yeah, I mean it's changed a little bit. Now we have the opposite problem where there's over incarceration. So, yeah, maybe one true. day we'll, we'll find a balance somewhere.
0: <laughs> maybe in a perfect world.
1: <laughs> yes, which we do not live in. <laughs> so that's the Pied Piper of Tucson.
0: Ooh, that's good. I like that. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about
1: anywhere.
0: Okay, Janelle, I'm gonna take us back way, way back, way, way, way back to the 1800s. When oh yeah, that's
1: that's my sweet spot right there.
0: Yeah, it's like <laughs> the legit cowboys and cattle rustlers of the Southwest. Um, Hell yeah! You know they they had saloons and and bar fights and brothels. they rode horses everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Just bars and brothels. Yep, basically, yeah. Um, so that's all you need for a
1: town <laughs>
0: I, that's really, yep, that, and maybe a chapel general or a church store. general yep. store, church, general store, brothel, and a bar. you're done <laughs> exactly, so I am going to tell you about the Bisbee massacre. Ooh, which I just love that name, the Bisbee mm-hmm. Massacre. Um, so while the story surrounds a gang of outlaw cowboys, much of it focuses on one man named John Heath. Uh, While he was originally born in Ohio in 1844, his family settled in Terrell, Texas, where growing up, he kind of got into this crowd of robbers and wranglers. And you also got to think, too, like back in the day, this stuff happened when you were younger, like everybody's timeline was shifted up because, let's be real, like 1800s medicine, the mortality rate, you know, everybody did everything earlier. Uh, just a lot of morphine (laughs) yeah yeah uh in his adult years Heath eventually ended up in clifton arizona where he opened a saloon later he moved to bisbee arizona where he again opened a saloon and a dance hall now i feel like you might know a little bit more about this than i do so correct me if i get any of this (laughs) wrong but dance Mm -hmm. halls in the old west were a little bit closer to like cabaret or burlesque shows um where they yeah. had like
1: it was the way to legally get around um having a brothel basically
0: yes, yeah. um so they did have like scantily clad women that did performances for men's entertainment. A lot mm-hmm. of them did not involve prostitution, although a lot of them did involve prostitution. um it was yeah, kind of like, like
1: a outback kind of a wink wink
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. um and it seemed like, uh, Heath's dance hall was sort of a haven for those considered the more unsavory characters. And it seemed that he traded in what was regarded as the undesirable trades. So things like prostitution. So it's, it should be no surprise that at some point, uh, Heath was indicted for cattle wrestling, robbery, burglary, and running a house of prostitution. Womp womp. All the good stuff. <laughs> right? Wrapped into one. Um, and this was all before he met his soon-to-be rough-and-tough cowboy crew. When he moved to Arizona, Heath became friends with a man named James Tex Howard. Now, Hell yeah. I love that. You're going <laughs> to love this. I was As I was writing this, I was like, Janelle is going to love all of this. This is uh, like, ugh. Yeah. <laughs> so... Tex actually left for Arizona with Heath and eventually introduced him to his fellow thugs, Dan Big Dan Dowd, Omer W. Red Sample, William Ooh, yeah. Billy Delaney, and Daniel York Kelly. Now, hell yeah. Something you should know about Bisbee is that it's home to the Copper Queen Mine. And according to Co- to uh, Queen Mine Tours, quote, in almost 100 years of continuous production before the Bisbee mines closed in 1975, the local mines produced metals valued at $6.1 billion. And that is at the 1975 price. Jeez Which is, Louise. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know. I read that and was like, holy crap, that's not even modern day money. <laughs> mm-hmm. It had one of the largest production valuations of all of the mining districts in the world. The opening and development of this mine majorly contributed to the growth of Bisbee, making it a staple of daily life. The other important thing to know about Bisbee is that it didn't have a bank. And so any mm. money that needed to be transferred to a bank would be kept at the town general store before being sent away and conversely had to be sent into the town and kept at the general store in order to provide for payroll
1: oh yikes okay <laughs> yeah
0: which even thinking of that is like kind of strange that it just didn't have a bank but if it wasn't a major enough town then
1: mm-hmm.
0: you just went to the next town over
1: so well, you buried it in your backyard <laughs>
0: Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's true. That's when you're burying all the gold and silver in your backyard Mm -hmm. or your backyard desert. I don't know. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: 50 paces from the oak tree.
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, This became the basis for an eventual plan to rob the payroll from the Copper Queen mine. It sounds like it was pretty common knowledge that the Copper Queen mine had a payroll of approximately $7,000, which is around $192,000 in today's money, uh, delivered to the Goldwater and Castaneda a day or two before the monthly payday, which was the general store uh, in town. Okay. Armed with this knowledge, on December 8th, 1883, Heath, Tex, Big Dan, Red, Billy, and York rode into Bisbee, leaving their horses near the Copper Queen mine with one of the group. Um, A group of five went into town and they went straight into the general store. Three of the robbers entered, leaving two of them outside on guard duty. When they walked in, one immediately pointed a revolver at the bookkeeper and demanded that he open the safe, which he obviously complied with. However, when the safe was open, they did not find the 7000 that they had hoped for, but instead only $800. Hmm. Uh, so that's they decided to rob this. I know, I know. It's like, that's, I mean, 7000 to 800 is like quite a cut. So... To make up for it, they decided to rob the staff and any customers in the store of their valuables. As you do. As you do. Meanwhile, the robbers that were outside guarding the front of the store seemingly became like a little trigger happy because they sort of started a shooting spree. (laughs) Just a little one. Just a little one. Uh, Aiming through the window of the general store, one of the bandits shot and killed a customer named J.C. Tappanier. And when this shot rang out, it was heard by uh, by Deputy Sheriff Tom Smith, who was out to dinner with his wife. And he came rushing out to help and was immediately shot as well. Another bullet went astray and went through a boarding house striking and killing a pregnant woman named annie roberts another bullet struck and killed a man named j.a nolly who was hanging around outside of his office now all of this craziness lasted for about five minutes it was like boom 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 and so about five minutes later the bandits rode out of town with a haul of approximately twelve hundred dollars okay that sounds much more reasonable <laughs> right yeah um and this is not like twelve, 12 or twelve hundred dollars in cash this is like the eight hundred dollars plus like the valuables and stuff that they had um right uh uh burgled stolen that's the word i'm looking for <laughs> wonderful
1: stolen Uh nope keep it with burgled <laughs> burgled <laughs>
0: Writers were immediately sent from Bisbee to the county seat in Tombstone, Arizona, which is a fantastic name Hell for yeah. any place.
1: Mm-hmm. I love. A lot it. of stuff Tombstone. happened in Tombstone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See every movie
0: called Tombstone. <laughs> is there a lot of movies called Tombstone? Yep. <laughs> I'm not a big old western sure fan, so. Oh yeah.
1: I'm I'm talking Jesse James, all that stuff. Tombstone, Arizona. Oh,
0: man. You know, this has been a whole, this is not typically like my forte area, but I learned a lot Mm -hmm. from this about the Old West and its places. I love the Old West.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, not like the rampant disease and disrespect towards women, but you know, the rest of it's
0: fine. (laughs) <laughs> Not like all the bad stuff. All the good stuff. Right. <laughs> uh, so in order to warn Cochise County Sheriff Jerome L. Ward, they sent this, uh, a bunch of writers from Bisbee to Tombstone. They then formed a couple of search parties or posses, as was so often used in my research. Everybody yes, called rustling them
1: rustling up some posse. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, Sheriff Ward led one of the posses and the second one was led by Deputy Sheriff William Daniels. Now, Daniels and his posse headed back to Bisbee, um, to get a read on things and start like questioning some of the witnesses. One of the folks that they talked to was none other than John Heath himself, who let's not forget, had a saloon that was not only in Bisbee, but down the street from the general store that had just been robbed by him. (laughs) So in what I feel like was a smart move on his part, he actually offered to help uh, catch the bandits saying that he knew who they were and could lead the authorities to them. Now, part of me is wondering if this was just a cover for himself, but also... To maybe turn over the people who had helped him in order to like hang on to more Keep of everything the... to
1: himself. Yeah,
0: exactly. Mm-hmm. Which is very like old Western Tutaman.
1: He's double crossing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the, the old double cross.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, while he had garnered a reputation uh, for being untrustworthy himself, they decided that their need to catch the bandits was a little greater uh, than like. It outweighed the untrustworthiness of John Heath, and they allowed him to lead them to where the bandits were, heavy quotes, where they were. (laughs) Um, But it was pretty obvious that he was lying, and they soon accused Mm. Heath of leading them on a false trail. And so Heath just, like, returned to his saloon. (laughs) Okay, He's like, all right, fine. See you guys later. It would take a few weeks, but all of the bandits, minus Heath, were rounded up from various places, including two in Mexico, one in New Mexico, and two in Clifton, Arizona. These five mm-hmm. were not going to go down alone, however, and pretty instantly oh, no. pointed t- pointed towards Heath as a person of interest. They were like, fuck this dude.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's the leader of the gang.
0: <laughs> you know about John Heath over in the saloon? Yeah, he's in on it. Which I feel like as people investigating this, they are probably like... Oh, that makes all the sense. (laughs) Right. So the authorities brought Heath in and he too gave into the pressure and confessed to having prior knowledge, although it's common belief that he was the mastermind behind the entire robbery plot. Mm -hmm. The trial against the five robbers began on February 17th, 1884 in Tombstone, Arizona. During the robbery, four out of the five men had been recognized and identified because they weren't all wearing masks. That was Mm kind of dumb. Um, And there's other (laughs) various evidence that proved pretty conclusive. So the trial itself lasted only three days and took one hour of deliberation before finding the five men guilty of first degree murder.
1: Uh, Of course. Right. They did. This is the time when trials weren't really like a thing. It was just like,
0: (laughs) big bang, boom. That's it. Mm hmm. Uh, They did submit a motion for a new trial, but it was quickly denied. And Tex, Big Dan, Red, York, and Billy were sentenced to be hanged by the neck until dead. Now, you'll notice that up to this point, I have left John Heath out of all of this. Mm -hmm. This is because somehow he requested and was granted a separate trial. Hmm. Whereas the other five were all tried together. Right. Right. So with Heath's trial, there was one glaring issue for the prosecution, that being the fact that they couldn't produce a single witness that could place Heath at the robbery. So instead, Mm. the county attorney, Marcus Aurelius Smith, was able to find a prisoner by the name of Sergeant L.D. Lawrence, who had been imprisoned with Heath and the other bandits since their arrest. Now, according to the sergeant, he had overheard Heath and the gang discussing the robbery and kind of like where it went wrong.
1: Oh, my God. Great band name. Heath and the gang.
0: <laughs> Heath and the gang. Oh, I do like that. That is pretty yeah. good. Note that for later. Um, yes. <laughs> if I ever start a band, I won't. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, so he, the sergeant claims that he had heard them discussing the robbery, which... Part of me was like, okay, so jailhouse confessions are a thing that existed back in the 1800s, too. Not much has changed there. And when he went to court, the sergeant actually denied making a deal in exchange for his testimony. But three months after the trial, he was found guilty of manslaughter and sentenced to two years. So he was actually, he was originally in prison for killing two men during a saloon brawl. And oh. the manslaughter charge was a far lower uh charge than what he had originally <laughs> had. well, he definitely made a little bit of a deal, so he 's trial proceeded, and when it came time for the jury to deliberate, they were actually completely split uh Some wanted to acquit and some wanted to convict and so to avoid a hung jury, the judge gave them the option of convicting Heath on a second-degree murder charge, and he uh, was sentenced to life in prison. Hmm. This was not enough for some of the residents of Coaches County who were convinced that Heath was, in fact, the ringleader of the entire thing. And so, as they did so often in the 1800s, a lynch mob formed. I was like, as you oh do. my god, as you do. This is just Classic. It is well, especially for the Old West. It's like exactly you know.
1: This is a movie. I swear to God, I've seen this
0: <laughs> probably. Uh, so this lynch mob formed, consisting of fifty to one hundred and fifty men, to deliver some good old fashioned vigilante justice. A group of seven were elected to go into the jail and bring Heath out. They actually had to go in and like threaten the sheriff to oh, release yeah. him at mm-hmm. gunpoint.
1: This is when police didn't really have any authority. <laughs> right. Unless you were They kind of
0: did, but mainly not. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Heath was removed from the jail at gunpoint, and he was taken down to a telegraph pole down the street where he was hanged until death.
1: Oh, Jesus.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, his. So I'm guaranteeing he didn't die right away.
0: <laughs> uh, no, I would say not. Mm-hmm. And I believe when they had him up there, they left his body up up on the uh telegraph poll i believe i saw for an hour and a half before they cut it down uh his final words were quote boys you are hanging an innocent man and you will find it out before those other men are hung i have one favor to ask that you will not mutilate my body by shooting into it after i am hung yes uh, yeah what
1: a request
0: <laughs> right please like, don't please don't shoot me after me you hung me <laughs> <laughs> Uh, when his body finally came to rest, a placard was placed on the Telegraph poll that read, quote, John Heath was hanged to this poll by the citizens of Cochise County for participating in the Bisbee massacre as proved accessory at 8 a.m. February 22nd, 1884, parentheses, Washington's birthday and parentheses, <laughs> parentheses Advance Arizona! <laughs> <Any> <laughs> it was all in caps with an exclamation Beautiful. point. Yes. Yeah. And so this did happen on Washington's birthday. It was like, okay, I don't know. It was a bigger deal back in the day, I think. Yeah.
1: I mean, well, that's a little bit closer to his lifetime. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. True. (laughs) Um, So this is actually the only lynching that ever happened in Bisbee's history. Like that is surprising. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I know. That's what I thought, too. So interestingly enough, while this was the death of one man, this actually made another sort of famous, uh, oh, specifically <laughs> the county coroner, Dr. George E. Goodfellow. Again, back at this time <laughs> Yeah, right? I guess coroner. County coroner, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, how you may ask? It was the coroner's job to determine the exact cause of death and determine whether or not charges should be pressed. So even though he himself had been witness to the lynching in his report, he wrote that John Heath died from, quote, emphysema of the lungs, which might have been and probably was caused by strangulation, self-inflicted or otherwise, as in accordance with the medical evidence. Even though... (laughs) right yeah which is interesting in itself i guess technically it's self-inflicted if he did crimes i don't know yeah if you crimed it's (laughs) self-inflicted yeah if you did crime uh even though lynching even back then was illegal um he chose not to implicate any person or persons in his report which was like kind of astounding you know uh so the remaining five bandits were executed by hanging on March 1884 uh, with the event itself being quite the affair. There was approximately a thousand people that showed up to witness the hanging and a special gallows had to be erected to accommodate all five men at one time. Um, mm-hmm. All but one died instantly. One of them, it took like a minute and a half for him to, to die. Yeah. Uh, but if you're looking for like a like something to go see when you're in arizona you can go to tombstone and they actually have the graves of all five uh still in Mm -hmm. tombstone with little placards and i will say john heath's body is not physically there they had buried him there but it's been since removed and i believe moved to like a family plot somewhere Mm
1: -hmm. yeah actually i actually went to tombstone it is there's a lot of stuff you can see there's so much is there
0: so much wild west history oh my god yeah <laughs> and the southwest is one of these places that i have uh, never been to i've never now been I've to been any there. place out there
1: i have like i haven't been um north of there like i went to washington i've been to new mexico arizona colorado that's about it um I went to the Four Corners, which was really interesting. That's where the four states touch over there and you can like yeah. be in all four states at once. It's pretty, yeah. pretty fun. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'd love to sometime. And actually I would love to go and see this now that we've covered it on the show, but um mm-hmm. that is the Bisbee Massacre.
1: That's crazy. I didn't see that when I was down there. Of course I was much younger, so probably wasn't paying attention too much. Gotta hit oh, yeah, famous true. spots. Um, True. Yeah, when I went to, to when I went to Tombstone, it was really fun. And um, when I was in Albuquerque, they have a lot of really great like old Wild West haunted tours that you can go on. And uh, I, on I would be in, so into that in old downtown Albuquerque, which is still exactly the same as it was in the 1800s. It still has all of the old buildings with all the wood timbers and adobe, like it's beautiful. And that was probably the most fun i had in the blazing heat ever
0: (laughs) Uh, i love it one of these times i'm gonna have to uh go out that way and just see yeah see things one of these days when we're not under quarantine anymore
1: i mean minus all the snakes it's really nice (laughs) oh great yeah and the the food is well you might not like it because you don't i would probably uh, Mexican food no i do not see you well you might get outside of what traditional mexican is food is true in your sense it's it's much 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 different in the South. yeah
0: Yeah, oh i'm sure it's probably a little bit more legit than Mm -hmm. it is here in in the old illinois super fucking legit spicy (laughs) and delicious and wonderful
1: and vegetarian friendly surprisingly
0: ooh, (laughs) lucky you
1: i know just hit ticking all the boxes for me yeah right
0: Well, if you are taking a road trip out to the old Southwest and need something to listen to, why don't you check out these here podcasts? Hi, I'm Brienne. I'm Courtney. And I'm Olivia. And together we make up super serious social justice. We get together each week to talk about a very serious
1: topic. No, really. We've talked about police shootings, politics, mental illness, disability, race, gender, marriage, kids, pretty much everything. I mean, and also farts.
0: There is a lot of farting. And belching.
1: What we're saying is that we're like you. We're normal
0: people who want to be kind, but also be able to joke about bodily functions. So we've created this podcast to make tough topics accessible and fun. And we even stuck some cat pictures on our website to lure you in. So join us every Wednesday for a new episode of Super Serious Social Justice. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and all your podcasting apps, or at sssjcast.com. Well, guys, that has been our show for this week. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, We got a couple of events more like it. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. Um, We have a couple of events coming up. The first one is in July. We are going to be in Kansas City, Missouri, for the True Crime Podcast Festival, July 11th and 12th. Uh, You can find out more information and get tickets at tcpf2020.com. It's gonna be a lot of podcasts there. We'll be there hanging out, saying hi, eating barbecue, I think. We always yeah. talk about barbecue every time we bring up TCPF because we're Kansas know, City. Because it's
1: Kansas City, baby. <laughs> um and then if we anything have, changes, we'll let you know. <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah. Keep an eye out on our social media for any of these event changes. It's everything's kind of up in the air right now, so we're still planning planning on going, but uh you never know what can change by the end of this week who knows yeah. oh god <laughs> um and the then we do have another uh, it's true uh we do have another event later in the year janelle you want to tell we us about sure that you do. if you uh want to come see us live and in
1: person uh join us at the elgin fringe festival it's still scheduled for september um we'll be doing a live show uh Lots and lots of stuff going on. The French Festival is amazing. It takes place in downtown Elgin at a bunch of different businesses. And it, there's a little something for everybody. There's music.
0: There there's really comedy, is.
1: There's yeah. us. There's <laughs> it's us. Be a great time. You can get tickets in advance once they're up uh, a little closer towards September. But we'll link all that on our social media if you need more information. Or you can go to elginfringefestival.com to find out more.
0: Yay. I'm excited yeah. for that one. That should be really fun. Yes. I, I love the French Festival.
1: I've gone every single year. <laughs> yeah. And actually, Janelle is going to be there doing art, not podcast yes. related, but art things. I will also be there in the visual arts uh, gallery as well. So you can yes. see both sides of my life, my art side and my
0: murder side. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, boy. <laughs> okay. Hopefully we don't see your murder side. No. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> You can go to badtastecrimecast.com slash merch if you want to check out any of the cool merch we've got. We've got honeys and t shirts and bags yeah. and I don't warmer even know. out there. Get a get a nice
1: tank top for yourself.
0: For when we're allowed to go outside again.
1: I mean you can go outside, <laughs> you just can't be by people or touch anything. Yes.
0: True. <laughs> True. We should start selling six foot poles. Like branded six foot poles. Oh my god. Yes. <laughs> oh my I'll god, get that on somebody. <laughs>
1: You can also check out our Patreon, too, if you want more content. We're, we're trying to do as much as we can from our respective homes, so keep an eye on our you know social media for live stuff that we've been doing, uh, free content that we'll throw up there. Our Murders to Quarantine too is pretty
0: great. Um, and then there's more stuff on Patreon, of course. Always. And you can get there by searching us on Patreon, or you can go to crimecast.com slash donate, and it'll get you to the same place.
1: Yes. We finally figured it out. <laughs>
0: Yay! <laughs> uh, Janelle, you got anything else before we wrap it up? You know, that was it.
1: Stay healthy. Wash your goddamn hands. Mm, true. Um, Love the one you're with. I don't know. <laughs> okay
0: yep Uh, (laughs) well our sound and editing is by (laughs) tiff (laughs) Tiff (laughs) fullman our music is by jason zakshesky the enigma (laughs) i did it (laughs) i was sort of waiting for you to jump in with that
1: Uh, (laughs) i will be our hype button
0: (laughs) Uh, this has been the bad taste crime cast we will see you in two weeks stay healthy and goodbye adios muchachos oh that was good why didn't i do that i should have thought of that i'm upset i didn't think of
1: that i had that one in the barrel if you know what i mean oh, oh <laughs>